In case we haven't met, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. I feel like I need to say that because I don't get up here to, to, to be able to teach a whole lot. But um, whenever I get the chance, um, one of the things that, uh, if you've been here before when I do, uh, you know that basically you get a glimpse of what's going on in my own heart and in my own mind. And it, it, it's really like me exposing the spiritual therapy that God uh, is, is working on, on me about. And when Aaron asked me to uh, do a sermon about the Psalms, uh, I knew immediately where, where this was going to go. Um, because uh, I tell you, this has been a, a process um, for me for a couple months now. And, uh, and this morning, I just really want to be able to invite you in to just kind of take part in that uh, little therapy session that God's been, been having with me. Because um, here's the deal. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get so frustrated with myself. I mean, I, <laughs> sometimes I, I literally will just say to myself, okay, Mike. You are 57 years old. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's amazing, isn't it? You are 57 years old, and you still continue to struggle with a lot of the same things that you did when you were 13 years old. And and there are times when, when I just get so frustrated about that that I just want to say, come on, Mike, what is wrong with you? And, and I was in one of those situations uh, where I had just been, been really feeling that. And I came across, you know, one of my favorite verses because I can relate to it so much. Uh, in, in Romans, when, when Paul kind of expresses that same kind of frustration, when it says, And I know that nothing good lives in me. Have you ever felt that way? That is, in my sinful nature, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right... I inevitably do what is wrong. You ever feel like that? Am I alone here? No. <laughs> Man, it, that, is, that is a struggle. And, and, and so a couple of months ago when I, when I was in that place, um, I just got really honest and uh, just sat down and had one of those sessions with God where it's just like, come on. What, what is going on? What is really a matter with me? Will you just show me? Just help me understand why these things just continue to grab hold of me and drag me down. What is the issue? What's the problem? And, and like happens so many times whenever, whenever I do that, uh, there were just, in the next couple of weeks, there were just things that just coincidentally happened, Right? <laughs> and, and, and one of them uh, was just conversations that I had with people. Some of it was just a conversation that I had with people uh, where just out of the blue, they would bring up some things that they were struggling with. Uh, 
And it just happened to be some of the same things that I was struggling with. And we would have a conversation about that. And why, why is that? Why is that? And, and, and then it led up to, uh, when I drive back and forth to Omaha to work, I listen to podcasts all the time. And I was listening to this podcast. And I have to tell you, it came to a point in this podcast where they asked this question. And this question just really messed with me. And the question was simply this. When was the last time that you really mourned for sin in your life that only you and God knew about? And I tell you, when, when I heard that question for the first time, and kind of started to process through that a little bit in my own mind, it just wouldn't leave me alone. And I kept coming back to that and coming back to that and asking myself that question over and over again because I really wanted to remember when that last time was. Because there's been lots of times when I've been caught in sin or, or, or something happened where that sin has been exposed to people around me in a great way. And, man, during those times, oh, yeah, man, the tears come. And, and I, I just feel so bad about it. And, and, and cry. And, and, and oh, it's, it's tough. But the answer that I kept coming back to, to that question was, I don't remember the last time. And so as I thought about that, I thought, okay, so here's the deal. I have either reached this level of spiritual maturity that I don't even sin anymore. (laughs) Those of you that laugh know me. Or I've become so calloused that it doesn't matter. And I have to tell you, as I processed through that, I came to that point where I realized how calloused my heart and my soul had become. And we're in this series where we're looking at Psalms, and, and, and the tagline of this series is, it's this journey of our soul. And... As we look at the soul itself, and I loved how Aaron started off the series by, by really describing what the soul is, because we've got a lot of misconceptions about that. And if you, if you miss that, man, go back and watch that on the podcast, because it, it, it wrapped it up so well. And, and, I, and to really understand what we're talking about here this morning, you really need to grasp that as well. So go back and listen to it if you missed it. But the whole idea being that this soul is, is who we are and it makes up our complete being. And when we talk about this journey of the soul, I, I began to realize that, that our soul can become this callous thing that doesn't even respond to sin. And, and so today, I, I just want us to be able to look at how repentance fits in to the health of our soul. Because I, I really think that when we think about repentance, we think about being sorry for something. That's usually the first thing that comes to mind when that idea comes up is that, that 
we're sorry for, for what we've done. But it's, it's really important to understand that repentance is way more than just being and saying, I'm sorry. Uh, because here's the deal. Saying, I'm sorry, is easy, right? And meaning it is uh, a whole different deal. And, and if you have kids, uh, you understand that completely. Um, we have a, a couple of our grandkids living with us right now. And Kinley's over here, and she's, she's one of the grandkids that's living with us right now. And Kinley has a little sister named Chloe. And uh, Kinley is a great big sister most of the time. But there are times when Chloe can just get on Kinley's nerves and, and all of a sudden something happens and Chloe begins crying. And so mom has to go to Kinley and say, okay, now stop doing that and tell your sister that you're sorry. And you know, if you've got kids, you know exactly what happens is they walk over and they go, sorry. <laughs> you know, and, and we would love for repentance to be that, right? We would love to just say, I'm sorry, and then it all be good. That would be perfect. It, it would be so amazing if we could just do that in our, in our own lives and, and that that would take care of everything that our, our, our soul and every way that sin is, is affecting us. That would be amazing. But, but we all know that repentance needs to be more than that. And the problem is, is that if that is true, then we all also know that we suck at it. And as I process through a lot of this, I realized just how, how bad it was. It, it, and I really want to know, what, what should that look like? Because, you know, I understand that I need to take time to pray, you know. I understand, you know, the logic behind that, and I need to have those conversations with God, and I need to make time to do that if I want my soul to be healthy. If I want that relationship with God to be real and effective, then I need to carve out some time to actually have those conversations with Him. So I understand that. And I understand that if I really want to understand what God is trying to teach me in my life, if I really want to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that I need to carve out some time to actually read the Bible sometimes. But the question kept coming back to me is, do I need to really carve out time then to repent? And what does that look like? Because it just, it wasn't something that I was doing for sure. But what, what does God really expect from me when we talk about that? Because it, it, there was this part of me that kept coming back to that, is this, is this kind of a legalistic thing that I'm dealing with here? Is this something that, that I feel like I need to, to do, um, that this is, this is my part, that I have to do this, and it's all about what I do to make sure that I'm 
saved and I'm continually saved and things like that? Is, is this this legalistic aspect that, that I kind of grew up in that kind of a church? You know, I, I talk about all the time that I'm really a, a reformed Pharisee because that's really how I was raised. And so I always have to kind of push back and look at that and say, is that where this is coming from? That I've got to carve out this time to repent so that I take care of my part. And so as I, as I kind of wrestled with this, I have to tell you that I honestly believe, and this is where I kind of landed on the whole thing, that if I don't take time to spend time repenting, I'm wasting my time praying, and I'm wasting my time searching the scriptures. I honestly feel that that discipline of repentance is that important. When Martin Luther um, took his 95 theses and nailed them to the wall or to the door at the cathedral at Wittenberg, and the Reformation movement really began. One of the interesting things was that his very first statement that he wanted to debate was about repentance. And the reason he was so frustrated is because he had seen the Catholic Church take repentance and make it into something that they could make money on. Because the church had, had taken this position that if, if you sinned and you wanted to repent, we would give you an indulgence that you could pay. And so at that time, the church had a lot of wealth, but they wanted to build these cathedrals. And so really, these indulgence payments became their marketing plan for how to build those cathedrals. And that bugged Luther. And so the number one thing that he took the church to task on was this whole idea that repentance meant you paid something and it was all taken care of. And this is, this is what he said in that very first statement. He says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. <laughs> and I don't know... But if you're like me, and I hear that, my first thought is, that sounds like something a monk would say. I mean, that sounds like a monk life to me. We walk around going, oh, I repent, I repent, I repent. You know, I, I can just, I can see that as a monk, but I can't see that as a, a, a Christian now today. And, and, and yet, as I, as I looked at that, I kept coming to this question of, does regular close examination of us, of our lives, does that mean that we are doomed to always feel inadequate, ashamed, and guilty? Is that what that means? If we're going to live this entire life of repentance, does it mean that we walk around just going, man, I suck, I'm just so bad, I'm such a horrible person, God, oh God. And, and we constantly walk around like that? Because if that's the case, if that's what that means, everything, that I, everything else that I read about the joy of being a Christian and giving your life to God and things like that, none of that makes sense then. And so how do we balance that out? That was 
the struggle. But, but you see, Luther understood that repentance was really simply a correction. It, w- it was that moment when you recognized that sin was steering you away from God. And that when you repent, it steers you back to God. And so when you, when you see repentance not as, as feeling like you're a crappy person or that you're a horrible person or, or that, that your, your whole life is just messed up and you're frustrated with yourself and you don't want to do anything, it, it, that's not what repentance is about. Repentance is simply that correction. That's really what the word means. It means to change direction or to change your mind. In reality, what I see this regular repentance being is kind of like putting on glasses to correct your vision so that you can see more clearly. And when we talk about carving out that time, it's simply repenting and asking for that clarity so that we can see where we're moving away from God and that we can correct that and move back to it. And this morning... Um, I want us to look at one of my favorite psalms because in it we see what genuine repentance really looks like. And if you're familiar with, the, with uh, psalms, David wrote a lot of these psalms and, and Psalm 51 is the one we're going to look at. And this is, this is one of those where David wrote this after one of his not-so-glorious moments. Right, if you're familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba, David is up on this rooftop and he's uh, looking out over the city and on this rooftop across from him he sees this beautiful woman bathing. And he decides that he wants a closer look and so he sends for her and she comes and she ends up pregnant from the night that they spent together. And so David, being a righteous guy, starts to put together a plan on what to do. So he sends for her husband, who was off in battle, Uriah. He calls for Uriah to come home, and so he, he brings Uriah in, and, and he, the plan was, okay, Uriah's going to go home. He's been gone for a long time. They're, him and his wife are going to get together, and then the pregnancy will just be assumed that it's Uriah's. But Uriah is such a stud warrior that he says, no, I can't go home while all of my fellow soldiers are camped in tents on the battlefield. I'm just going to sleep at the palace gate with the guards so he doesn't go home. David's like, <clears throat> so he calls him back and he says, hey, you know, you've been working really hard. You know, you've killed a lot of people on my behalf. I want to reward you with a great feast. And so he brings him to the table, and he gets him drunk. And Uriah is sitting there weaving in his chair, and David walks over and says, Uriah, go home. You've had enough. Go home to your beautiful wife. Go home. And Uriah stands up, and he wanders down to the palace gate and sleeps with the guards again. And David goes, <laughs> and so and so he rather than just stopping, David puts together his next plan, 
which is he gives Uriah the note for this plan to his commander that says, okay, send Uriah to the front lines where the, heat, where the battle is the hottest, and as soon as he gets to the point, everybody else draw back. He gives him that note. And Uriah, the good guy that he is, he doesn't look at the note. And he goes to battle and is killed. And word comes back to David that Uriah is dead. And so after the period of mourning, he invites Bathsheba to come to the palace to be his wife. But God sends a guy named Nathan to David. And Nathan says to David, David, I want to tell you a story. There is this poor guy. The only possession that he had was one little lamb. And he loved that lamb. The lamb's name was Fluffy. And he loved Fluffy so much that every night, Fluffy would climb onto his lap and he would sing, Mary had a little lamb to Fluffy. And everywhere that this poor man went, Fluffy would go. And then one day, a rich man had a friend coming, and he wanted to host a feast. And that rich man had hundreds of sheep, but he chose instead to take Fluffy away from this man and kill Fluffy and eat Fluffy. And David, being a shepherd in his past himself, he says, that's horrible. That man deserves to die. And Nathan looked at him and he said, David, you are that man. And in that moment, David realized what he had done. And it was in the aftermath of all that that David writes these words that we find in Psalm chapter 51. Verse 1, 2, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash, wash me clean from my guilt and purify me from my sins. If you're taking notes, the first thing that we see right off the bat here is that genuine repentance has faith in God's love and mercy. You know, it's hard, hard for us to admit when we've done something wrong. And, and if you're one of those people that just love to admit it when you've done wrong, you're weird. You know, you just are. Because it's, it's hard to really admit when we've done something wrong. But when you look at this passage, the very first thing that comes out of David's mouth is to say, have mercy on me, not because I deserve it, not because I'm king, not because later on you're going to refer to me as a man after your own heart, God. Have mercy on me. Why? Because of your unfailing love and your great compassion. And that's, 
that's where you begin to see where grace comes in. We talk a lot about grace, is that grace allows us to embrace this unfailing love that God offers to us. And when we recognize that unfailing love, it becomes a conviction and it becomes a comfort. It becomes a conviction because we feel like in asking for forgiveness that we're taking advantage of God's love. Have you ever felt that way? It's kind of like taking advantage of old senile grandma, you know, and asking her for money, even though she just gave you 10 bucks yesterday, but she doesn't remember it. And so you're like, I need 20 bucks, so I'll ask her for 10 bucks today and 10 bucks tomorrow. She won't know the difference. And, and you take advantage of grandma. That Not that I've ever done that, right? But... Uh, it, it, it kind of feels like that sometimes, that, that we're taking advantage of God's unfailing love and his compassion. But instead, David recognized that that is what allows him to come before God honestly. And that faith in that, in that uh, unfailing love of God and that mercy of God is really tested when we actually stand before him and are honest about what we've done. And it's important for us to remember that it's not our repentance that gets rid of our guilt. Sometimes it helps to admit things, but it's God's love and forgiveness that really gets rid of that, that guilt in our life. And then he goes on and we see the second thing, and that is that genuine repentance exposes the root of our sin. Verse 3, he says, For I recognize... My rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You know, I, I've always found this, this verse kind of interesting because usually if I've done something wrong and, and I'm repenting to God about it, I mean, I have like my list of everything I've done wrong because I want to make sure he knows, right? So, you know, you start out with the list, and you say this, I've done this, and God forgive me for this and this. You know, and I've always kind of thought it's kind of weird that David, you know, he doesn't list, you know, God, I'm really sorry that I saw Bathsheba naked, and I kept looking. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry that I invited her into my house, and I'm sorry that she became pregnant, and, you know, I'm really sorry about the whole Uriah thing. Um, you know, he, he doesn't list that. He goes right to, you can tell that David has, has processed through this, that there's been some time that has elapsed, and he recognizes that the real problem is that he's rebelled against God. Because stop and think about it. Do you think David knew what he was doing was wrong? Absolutely. When you sin, do you know what you're doing is wrong? Usually. But we blind ourselves to it. And, and, and the whole thing is, is that genuine repentance drives us to process this. When we actually take the time to do it, to process through what the root of the problem is. And the root of the problem so many times is that we're saying to God, Mm-mm, not this. This thing is mine, not yours. This part of my life is not yours. It's mine. So sorry. And that's the part that we need to 
repent on. Yeah, I was talking to a couple one time who was really struggling in their marriage. And uh, as I talked to them, they just, I, I kept hearing these symptoms. And, and the symptoms just centered around what was not happening in the bedroom. And, and they kept coming back to that over and over and over again. And I finally just stopped them and I said, okay, I tell you what, I got this figured out. If that's the real problem, okay, for the next month, every morning, every night, all right, go after it. And, and the guy, you know, he stood up and he's like high-fiving, you know, and he's like, yeah, and everything. And the wife's sitting there going, mm. why? Because she knew that wasn't the problem. The guy knew it wasn't the problem, too, but he was willing to give it a try. You know, that's, that's the truth <laughs> of the matter. You know, that's just the way it was. But, but a lot of times we, we, we mess around with God and we just, we just say, hey, you know, I'm going to repent for this and I'm going to repent for this. But genuine repentance, when we really process through it, brings us to the root of the problem. And lets us know that that's where the repentance needs to take place. And so many times we can say the exact same thing that David said. God, I've rebelled against you. I've put you clear down here on my list of priorities. You're not what's most important. Then he goes on and we see that genuine repentance restores our reliance on God. Look at verses 7 through 11. It says, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Look at everything that David is asking God to do for him in, that, in those verses. Purify me. Wash me. Give me back my joy. Remove the stain of guilt. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a loyal spirit within me. A lot of times we avoid repentance because we want to fix ourselves, right? We want to be dependent on ourselves to fix us. And that's a lot of reasons why we're, we're hesitant to go to God and say, God, fix me. I can't do this on my own. And, and when we process through that and we begin to understand that we're this broken mess that needs fixing, that only God can fix us. Who else can do those things for David? Only God can. Only God can purify him from his sins. Only God can wash him and make him clean. Only God can remove that stain of guilt. Only God can create that spirit within us, that loyal spirit that says, I want to serve you. I'm going to serve you. God does that in our lives. And repentance is really a part of that, is admitting that we can't do it. Humbling ourselves to say, we can't do this. I, I love this. I, I, I wrote it down a long time ago. I, I wish I knew where I got it because I, I think it's so awesome. It says, the more we see our flaws and sins, 
the more precious, electrifying, and amazing God's grace appears to us. When we're down on our knees repenting, God is huge to us. And only God's grace can take the ugliness of our sin and make it something that we can rejoice in. And that's pretty amazing. And then he goes on, and and the the last one is that genuine repentance restores a broken heart, heart. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then I love this, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Then you skip down to verse 16. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is what? A broken spirit. And then this is the promise that David grabbed onto, is that you will not reject a broken and repentant heart of God. You know, sin brings a lot of pain to us, right? That's what makes it so frustrating when we just live in that circle of sin is that it brings so much pain to us and broken hearts and broken lives go hand in hand with sin. We see it all the time. But you know, when I stand up here and I look out over this group of people, I know stories that are here in this place today where sin broke lives. But I also see those stories where that repentant heart went to God and joy was brought back into those stories. And the most exciting part to me is that just like David said he would be willing to do, we have people here today who are willing to stand up and say, I was a rebel just like you. I struggled and I fell on my face just like you. Now let me tell you what God showed me. Let me tell you what God taught me from that. And people from Mosaic come alongside that brokenness because they've been there. And lives are changed. That's what repentance does. Because I, I see other stories of people who have come broken and leave broken that come that need to repent and leave living the same life that they always have. And you see them continue in a life that is crushed by their own, their own sin and they won't give in. And, and those are the stories that crush my heart. And if they would only listen to people around them, if they would only listen 
to the cry of God that says, Come to me, all you are, that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I love this quote by Tim Keller. You've heard Aaron talk a lot about him, and, and I, I just this wraps it up so well, and maybe I should have just read this and been done a long time ago. But it wraps up what repentance is so well. He says this, Without an orientation to the gospel, the heart will repent out of fear of consequences and out of fear of rejection. Obey or you will be rejected. But the gospel leads you to repent because Jesus died for your sins. So, just so you would not be rejected. In a sense, the gospel says, how can you treat one like this who paid this cost so that you would not be rejected? Legalistic remorse says, I broke God's rules. While real repentance says, I broke God's heart. That's so good. And then he goes on and he says, Repentance out of mere fear is really sorrow for the consequences of sin, sorrow over the danger of sin. It bends the will away from sin, but the heart still clings. But repentance out of conviction over mercy is really sorrow over sin, sorrow over the grievousness of sin. And it melts the heart away from sin. It makes the sin itself disgusting to us. So it loses its attractiveness, its attractive power over us. That's the difference between genuine repentance and just saying, I'm sorry. And you know, the problem is, is that genuine change takes a long time. It's a long process. It really, it really is a journey of our souls. Craig Rochelle had a tweet that I thought was so good. He says, a great mark of spiritual maturity is not the distance between sins, but the short time span between sin and repentance. Because repentance takes our soul on that journey of becoming like Christ. So, the band can come on up, um, because I, I, I want us to just sit on this whole idea for a minute. I, if you're like me, um, I'm, I'm trying to think what I would be feeling right now if I was you. And my first thought is, you're asking for more time. And you're right. I mean, what I just shared with you has been something that I've been processing for several months. That's a lot of time. And so this morning, I just want to give us a minute to just sit on this. To just ask yourself that same question that messed with me. When was the last time that you mourned for sin in your life that only you and God knew about? 
Does that mess with you? Does that hurt your heart? Because my prayer this morning is that you will take that time. Because all the rest of your time that you're trying to devote to coming to something like this, or spending time in prayer with God, or or spending time reading the Bible, I'm telling you, it is a waste of your time until you to be a natural rhythm in our lives to be honest with God because our natural journey is away from God and repentance will steer us back and that is the only way we come back let's pray God I just pray that these words will be real today that in this moment, uh, God, I, I first of all want to pray for, for the people who have never made that step to say, God, I need you. I pray that this moment might be that time when they recognize that they've been walking away from you, that they've been heading in the wrong direction, and that this is the time to repent and just turn around and say, God, I need you. to start that long process of understanding what genuine repentance really means. But God, even more than that, I just, I want to pray for people like me that have been Christians for a long time that have just become so calloused to sin in their life that they don't even see it anymore. And and God, it's it's so easy to become one of those ninja Christians where, where we just, we, we can hide our sins so well from people around us. We can make it look like we've got so much on the ball. And God, my prayer this morning is that you will cut to our hearts. That you will bring us to our knees. there and I repent God the challenge doesn't stop here the challenge is every day and my prayer is that you will just prick our hearts every day 